Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zora. Africa, amka na unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kHz on the 25 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Zimbabwe's opposition leader Nelson Chamisa evades kidnapping attempt and South Africa's state capture inquiry set to resume today. In economics news, world leaders push for China-backed trade deal excluding USA and in sports news, Esperanza Stan Al-Ahli to clinch CAF Champions League title. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. Top opposition leaders from the Democratic Republic of Congo have chosen Marte Fayule as their joint candidate for presidential elections due next month. The decision was taken on Sunday after days of negotiations in the Swiss city of Geneva. The meeting included two heavyweights, former Vice President Jean-Pierre Bemba and former Provincial Governor Moïse Katumbi, who have both been barred from standing in the long-delayed election. Fayulu will stand against former Interior Minister Emmanuel Shadare, who is backed by outgoing President Joseph Kabila. The elections, which were meant to take place two years ago, will be held on the 23rd of December. The death toll from Friday's car bomb loss in Somalia's capital, Mogadishu, has risen to 52, according to admission records from five hospitals. The blast occurred near hotel and the headquarters of the country's criminal investigation division police. Militant group Al-Shabaab claimed responsibility for the attack, saying it was targeting government officials staying at the hotel. However, authorities say the group intentionally targeted innocent civilians. Most of the dead were civilians who were traveling, and minibuses passed the area when the blasts occurred, which were followed by gunfire. Explosive evidence is expected to be submitted to the Commission of Inquiry probing state capture in South Africa, which will resume in Parktown in Johannesburg this morning. Former and current ministers of public enterprises Barbara Hogan and Praveen Goran are expected to testify. Commission Chairperson Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo had postponed the hearings for almost a month to allow implicated parties to present their versions. Ntebo Mukobo reports. In her evidence today, Barbara Hogan will give details on how the Gupta brothers pressured her into scrapping a lucrative flight route between Johannesburg and Mumbai to benefit their business interests. Her allegations were corroborated in the testimony of former ANC MP Fakey Mentor, who told the commission last month that former President Jacob Zuma offered her Hogan's job in 2010 in exchange for doing the Gupta's bidding, which included cancelling the same flight routes. And on Thursday, Praveen Kodan will testify of his meetings with Ajay and Tony Gupta. But in his submission to the inquiry, which has been leaked to the media ahead of his testimony this week, Godan gave a vague recollection of a number of incidents in which he met the two. 
Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has had to cut short his visit to France because of the escalation of violence between Israeli troops and Hamas militants. And Israeli army officer and Hamas military commander were killed were killed on Sunday during an Israeli special forces operation inside the Gaza Strip. The BBC's Tom Bateman has more. Hamas's military wing said Israeli special forces fired from a car which was around three kilometers inside the Gaza Strip. An exchange of fire then broke out with witnesses reporting tank shelling and explosions from Israeli airstrikes in the area. Sirens warning of rocket fire from Gaza have been sounding in nearby Israeli towns with several rockets shot down by anti-missile batteries. And finally, health experts warn that pneumonia will kill nearly 11 million children under the age of 5 by 2030. The study published on World Pneumonia Day highlights that more than 880,000 children, mainly aged under 2 years old, died from pneumonia in 2016 alone. A handful of countries are set to carry the highest burdens, with 1.7 million children set to die in Nigeria and India, 700,000 in Pakistan and 635,000 in the DRC. Pneumonia, an inflammatory infection of the lungs that may be contracted via viral or bacterial infection, is treatable if detected early enough and the patient's immune system is not compromised. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu. We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people. And we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people. We are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country. Hashtag Mama Sisulu Centenary. Channel Africa. The Zimbabwean government has denied claims that its spy agency has attempted to kidnap main opposition leader Nelson Chamisa as he left a rally this weekend. Chamisa's Movement for Democratic Change Party tweeted on Saturday that Central Intelligence Organization agents participated in a failed attempt to abduct Chamisa following a rally in Marondera, east of Harare. Simon Muchema reports from Harare. Zimbabwean opposition leader Nelson Chamisa on Saturday in Harare, Nalori, escaped an abduction attempt his party, Movement for Democratic Change, MDC, has said. 40-year-old Chamisa was on his way from a rally in Marondira, 80 kilometers east of the capital, when his security aides noticed six cars trailing them. An amateur video was posted on social media capturing an altercation between Chamisa and his alleged assailants. This attracted mixed reactions from citizens, with some criticizing the government for its failure to adhere to a treaty against abductions and forced disappearance of persons. MDC's spokesperson Jacob Mafume explained the ordeal surrounding the abduction attempt. The convoy was followed from Marondera in the highway. When they realized that they were being followed, they got off the highway at the Mavoko area just to be sure uh, that these vehicles were following them because in the highway, any, there, are, there are other cars that could be moving 
at the high speed for various reasons. They then turned into Mabuku uh, towards the Mabuku police station. The vehicles kept following them. They made a number of turns. The vehicles kept with them until the vehicles caught up with them and tried to block them. When they, they were blocked, they then managed to get alongside the uh, president's car and they uh, grabbed the driver from the president's vehicle and put him into their vehicle. The president, together with other security detail, then got off to try and retrieve the driver. Uh, as they were trying to retrieve the driver, president security noticed that the vehicle was about to speed off uh, with the driver inside and they pulled the president to safety the car drove off uh, they tried to follow the car then they realized that uh, the president's driver had jumped out of the back seat of the car and they let the car following the saturday incident some citizens were quickly reminded of the disappearance of journalist itai zamara a few years ago zamara is yet to be found chamisa himself has been attacked several times with the most talked being the, the airport incident where unknown people hit him on the head with an iron bar. His predecessor, the late Morgan Changrai, was attacked together with a number of opposition leaders in 2007, and Changrai had to seek medical attention in South Africa. In 2008, during the presidential election runoff campaign, nearly 400 MDC supporters were abducted and killed. Therefore, Chamisa's story could be true, political analyst Innocent Kagodora said. Not uh, the first time that this, this has happened. I think we'll give before even his uh, predecessor, Morgan Sangrai. We understand that he was subjected to, you know, most of his uh, kind of attacks before, like in the past. Uh, be it even arbitrary detention, so really they have gone missing, you know, and then you later discover that he's by arrest central, he's beaten up currently and said to be been arrested and so forth. So given the hostile environment, I think, when it comes to opposition politicians, I think it would not really surprise us to say, okay, there was an attempt on his uh, life. Kagodora did not dismiss chances that the ruling ZANU-PF could be trying to create another scenario similar to Saudi Arabia. We understand even in international politics there's a major story that is playing against, that is of the, the Saudi Arabian journalist Jamaica Shoshu, to say they want to probably try, you know, do those kind of stunts, probably localize the here in Zimbabwe and probably come up with these various excuses whereby the leadership, the senior leadership of the ruling party would be excused to say, okay, they didn't know about the abduction, they never sanctioned it, but probably, you know, some overzealous, you know, security agents or otherwise, they are the ones who are the perpetrators of such a minious crime of abducting, you know, Nelson Chamisa. That is if they succeeded. So there is a probability. While a number of citizens were sympathetic with Chamisa, some castigated him for allegedly staging a fake abduction to draw attention. You want to look at the, probably the fact that he might have staged punishment. But I think given the circumstances, I think the man is already popular. I don't necessarily think that he really needs to do this theatrics in order to gain attention. Because understand, you are looking for the person who garnered uh, you know, around two million dollars and probably want to look at him and say he wanted to stage money this one disappearance and uh, and, and at what end for what purpose i don't think it is quite necessary because they were looking at someone who is already popular meanwhile a police report has been made in harare and police are yet to react on the allegations 
Inarare, Zimbabwe, for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa. The urgent application brought by former South Africa's ruling ANC Northwest Province Chairperson, Super Mahumabilu and other disgruntled party members has been struck off the roll. Four members from different regions of the ANC in the province had headed to court to challenge the National Executive Committee's decision in August to disband the Provincial Executive Committee. The disgruntled member says the decision was unconstitutional and unlawful. Yet another court battle with members of the ANC dragging their party to court. This time it is the former Northwest Chairperson Suprama Humapilu and four ordinary members from different regions in the province. They wanted the Johannesburg High Court to overturn a decision it taken in August to disband the Provincial Executive Committee. But it wasn't to be, as Judge Sien Mushidi explains. One would have expected that the applicants would have approached the court not only timelessly, but presented the matter procedurally correct and properly. Regrettably, this this did not happen. But Maumapilu isn't budging. He says they'll take the matter further to the ANC's National General Council to make sure it receives the agency it deserves. It's not about the outcome. This matter we are still going to pursue it at three fronts. We have already instructed our lawyers to make sure that the matter is back on the roll. Secondly, we will still, uh, as members of the organization, take the matter up through the structures to the next National General Council. And thirdly, the matter will surely, through the structures, the branches go to the next national conference. So it's a long way to go. At the same time, questions have been raised on the supposed delay in bringing the matter to court. Advocate Tembeka Ngokaitobi represents the four former PEC members from the Northwest. We also ask for the decision of the 20th of September 2018 to appoint a PTT be declared unlawful and set aside. In court, it was argued that provincial task team only became operational on the 20th of September this year and it's still in office illegally. Advocate Dalimbofu represents Supra Mahumapilu. Theoretically, the case could have been heard on that day, which was the, 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 the Tuesday. The view that we have taken, my lord, was that the, um, the, the, the affidavit that has been filed sufficiently explains why he has taken the step. And as to the question of your lordship of saying applying to intervene as a party, that would of course not be necessary, my lord, because he's already a party. Uh, but uh, the coordination point is, is a good point. But the ANC's legal team disagreed as lawyer William Curry argues in court. The applicant is entitled to nominate the time frames upon which compliance by the respondent with filing of documentation must take place. And the respondent ignores those time frames at his or her own peril. So we know that Mr. Mahopil has ignored those, and his mere say so that he support the relief sought by the applicant, then it's fine, he can support that relief, but he can't then come and argue from the bar Now the matter is likely to be back in court soon with an involved parties determined to go all out until their issues are settled.
Aimabongile Tumago in Johannesburg. South Africa's ruling African National Congress structures as well as former Northwest Province Chairperson Supermahuma Bilu have been criticized for failing to follow internal party processes. Mahuma Pilo and his followers took the party's National Executive Committee to court, challenging the disbandment of the Provincial Executive Committee, which he's under his leadership. Speaking at the South African Communist Party's Red Friday community meeting in Clarkstorp, ANC Chairperson Gwede Mandashe said there was no need for members to take the party to court. Itumelen Khajan reports. Though the NEC has the powers to disband the Provincial Executive Committees of the ANC, Mahuma Pelu and his followers say due processes were not followed when the PEC was disbanded. He says some in the NEC colluded with some ANC members in the province to remove him and those who supported Dr. Nkosa Zanatlamini Zuma for the presidency of the ANC from key positions and for the PEC to be dissolved. He says they had no any other option but to approach the courts. However, Mantashe has a different view. He says they must exhaust internal processes first and work towards unifying the party. That is an ANC issue. Uh, members of the ANC must not rush to court as the first instance. They must talk to the ANC. Unity is not a theoretical matter. It's a practical matter. You only unite yourself when you are together in the trenches. If you are not together in the trenches, you can't unite. You can shout unity, unity every day. It won't happen. SACP in the province says this is an indication that Mahuma Pelu wants to cling to power. SACP Provincial Secretary Madoda Sambata says ANC members must accept that the party does not belong to them and that leadership will change from time to time. The ANC, it's not their family property. That when they were in court, we were here telling everybody that the ANC is safe and it is not an organization of individuals. So if you remove Madoda, the SACP shall still exist. Umatota is not the SACP, but elected by members of the SACP. Absolutely right. When Umatota is detached from leadership, the SACP remains. That must apply to the African National Congress. The South Gauteng High Court has struck off the role the application for the PEC to be reinstated, saying the case was not urgent, much to the excitement of the convener of the provincial task team of the ANC, Professor Job Mokoro. I think it's a welcome outcome. It's good for good governance. We have started putting systems in place and we would be concerned that there should be no disruption to what we have put in place. And we only hope that those comrades who had gone to court would realize that it is all about the people of the province and not about individuals. So on that basis, we welcome the outcome. Mahuma Pelu is on record as saying he has instructed his legal team to reinstate the matter as he believes he has a winnable case. I meet Umeren Khajani in Clegstorp. No matter where you go, remember the road that will lead you One of Africa's most impressive events, the East African Market Festival, is taking place in Johannesburg, South Africa's biggest city, during the month of November 2018, culminating the main event on the 17th of November. 
hosting a selection of incredible talented musicians, a craft market, East African cuisine, and much, much more, the East African Market Festival. Bring your family and friends. Come experience East Africa. If you cannot make it, then join Channel Africa as we bring you the excitement and sounds from the event. Channel Africa, bringing you to the African perspective. South Africa's ruling ANC president, Sir Ramaphosa, says the party will act against those who drive factionalism and those who continue to bring the party into disrepute. Addressing party members at Winter Rose Stadium in Mdanzane in the Eastern Cape province, Ramaphosa described unity in the ANC as sacrosanct. He also stressed that his government is working hard to eradicate fraud and corruption at all levels of government. Makaya Komisa reports. ANC-NEC members, led by ANC President Cyril Ramaphosa, descended on the Eastern Cape to interact with communities and branches of the party. Door-to-door campaigns were conducted in all regions except the troubled Nelson Mandela Bay region. Speaking on the sidelines of his visit to service delivery sites in the Pavalo City region, Ramaphosa says the ANC's National Working Committee will be sitting in East London to discuss political instability in some regions in the province. This, as the disbanded ANC Nelson Mandela Bay regional leadership is refusing to step down. That is why we've decided that as officials of the ANC, we're going to move around the country uh, to deal with the issues and the challenges and the problems, as well as the opportunities that the organization has. So we are here now, we're meeting our people in all the regions of the Eastern Cape, and we're getting to hear what their issues are, including those issues of either RTTs or whatever. We want to stabilize the political structures of our movement as we move towards an election. Ramaphosa also visited ANC veteran Mama Majori Notemba Fazi in Tangent Village outside East London. This is the second visit after Ramaphosa visited here in January this year. During that visit, Fazi complained about the small size of her house and Ramaphosa promised to renovate it. Ramaphosa used the opportunity to assess the progress in the construction of a house. I'm very happy that the construction is now underway. I am told it will be by January. This house will be complete. It will be a much bigger house. It will be a much better house. It will have better finishes inside. And Ramaphosa will be able to live measure of comfort. Fazi says she is happy that the president has renovated her house. I am so happy in a way that I have never been happy before. The house used to frustrate me a lot because growing up, I never grew up in a small home like this. Now I have a big house, which is something I deserve. The president's visit was such an honor. I felt like it was the ultimate freedom. Ramaphosa also assessed the progress made in the construction of a bridge linking Post M and the Pumlani village. Concerns raised by communities and ANC branches will be discussed in the National Working Committee meeting. I am Makaya Komisa in East London, in the Eastern Cape. 
Explosive evidence is expected at the Zondo Commission of Inquiry into State Capture when South Africa's former and current ministers of public enterprises Barbara Hogan and Pravin Gordon take the stand this week. In her evidence today, Hogan will testify on how some members of the Gupta family pressured her into scrapping a lucrative flight route between Johannesburg and Mumbai to benefit their business interests. On Thursday, Pravin Gordon will give details of his meetings with the Gupta brothers. Ndebo Mukobo reports. After almost a month break, the Zondo Commission will resume this morning with former Public Enterprises Minister Barbara Hogan taking the stand. Hogan's testimony and that of Pravin Gordon were postponed until this week to give any implicated persons within their testimonies time to submit their own stories of events, as Deputy Chief Justice and Presiding Officer Raymond Zondo explains. I just wish to emphasize that the Commission and its legal team must make sure that all implicated persons are treated fairly and are afforded a fair opportunity to put their case before the Commission. In this regard, I want to emphasize that implicated persons who get notices informing them that they are or may be implicated by certain witness statements are required to put up their version. And in this regard, I hope that all concerned will cooperate with the Commission in order to make sure that its functioning is as smooth as possible. Barbara Hogan is expected to give evidence about the events building up to former President Jacob Zuma's 2010 cabinet reshuffle and her knowledge of the reasons she was fired. Central to her testimony is how the former president made it difficult for her to do her job and how the Gupta brothers pressured her into scrapping a lucrative Johannesburg-Mumbai flight route to benefit their business interests. These allegations were corroborated in the testimony of former ANC MP Fakey Mento, who told the commission last month that she was offered Hogan's job in 2010 in exchange for doing the Gupta's bidding which included cancelling the same flight routes. Mento said she turned down the offer and Hogan was asked by Zuma soon afterwards. She was replaced with Malusi Gikaba, who is now the Home Affairs Minister, and with Hogan and Kotan expected to tell all when the commission resumes this morning. Leadership expert Dr. Mazuma Jola says so far the Zondo Commission has lived beyond what it was set out to do. Far beyond the expectations. If it was not for the state capture commission, there will be so many things that will not have been disclosed right now. Santa Nene would not have told us what he said. I know that they have leaked the statement, but would not have known that. When someone said, I've never made the Guptas finish and clear, that's what this public would know. But this commission, I'm telling you, I think there's so many things that are still coming from this commission. In his 68-page sworn statement delivered to the commission last month, Pravin Gordon said he only met the Guptas once, and that was at the meeting requested by former President Jacob Zuma between 2009 and 2014. But in his submission to the inquiry, which has been leaked to the media ahead of his testimony this week, Gordon gave a vague recollection of a number of incidents in which he met Ajay and Tony Gupta. Meanwhile, his fiercest critics, the EFF, had since called for him to follow on the footsteps of his colleague Ntlantlane and step down. And Dr. Majola weighs in on the Godan debacle, insisting that it would be interesting to see what will happen after his evidence. I always argued that what Ntlantlane did, he made it very easy for the president because he resigned. And I want to believe that he resigned on his own volition, not under pressure. That was in a precedence. What we hear about Pravin Godan is exactly the same thing that 
happened to Tlantlanene. Tlantlanene did not disclose that he met the Guptas. It's exactly the same thing with Pravin. The question is, will Pravin resign? Because Tlantlanene showed them the way. Leadership is modeling. Leadership is exemplary. If you're a leader, you show other people how things are done. We are watching that after the commission, what will happen to him. President Cyril Ramaphosa, on the other hand, has asked South Africans to allow the commission to do its work so that the truth of what happened can eventually come out. I think every statement that is going to be made from now has to be evaluated on its own merits. Obviously, we have to examine everything, and people have either memory lapses, and so everything cannot just be examined utilizing a linear method. You've got to see the extent to which anyone is uh, obviously telling the truth and uh, use that as a filter to be able to reach a conclusion. And this is a commission where the truth of what happened with state capture has to come out. Today is the 19th day of the commission and Justice Raymond Zondo is encouraging more and more people to come forward with information that will help his team. He has also urged all people concerned to cooperate with the commissioners to help them finish their job within reasonable time. I am Tebu Mokobe in Johannesburg. Attention to our listeners. The first hour of Africa Digest will not be broadcast on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. The 1700-hour show will only be found on shortwave and online on www.channelafrica.co.za. Please note that this only applies to the 1700-hour Central African Time show. The 1900-hour Central African Time program will be back on all the platforms. Channel Africa giving you an African perspective. Our headlines up next with Than Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, Libya's key political players to meet with global leaders in Palermo in the latest bid by major powers to kickstart a long-stalled political process and trigger Elections. Top DRC opposition leaders appoint Marte Fayolo as their joint candidate for the presidential elections due next month. And the death toll from Friday's car bomb blast in Somalia's capital Mogadishu rises to 52.
The Africa Investment Forum has been hailed a great success that surpassed all expectations with transaction worth billions of dollars sealed. Participants from heads of government, business executives, development finance institutions and private sector CEOs from across the continent congregated in Johannesburg, South Africa to attend the first ever transaction-based forum on the continent. Channel Africa's Ntlantla Matlang reports. The three-day investment forum ended on Friday with transactions worth billions of dollars sealed. The Africa Investment Forum ended on a high note with a closing panel comprising heads of development finance institutions unanimously lauding the unique initiative, calling it an exceptional gathering that exceeded all expectations. More from the president of the African Development Bank, Akinumi Adesina. We also had a closure of 45 deals for a total of $32 billion. That is incredible for a first forum uh, to be held Africa Investment Forum. I am thankful for the investors. I'm thankful for the confidence they have in Africa. Africa has grown up. Africa will not be developed by aid. It will be developed by investment. And I think you are beginning to see that. Some of the key moments of the forum include the signing of a memorandum of understanding between Ghana and South Africa for a 2.6 billion U.S. dollar SkyTrain project. The Accra I SkyTrain is an elevated light rail project that uses air propulsion technology to drive lightweight, high passenger volume vehicles. Another important moment was the signing of a landmark bridge construction project linking Kinshasa and Brazzaville. The project is set to help advance the infrastructure and transport agendas of the two nations. The bridge will also help diversify the country's economies through increased trade and investment. About 350 investors from 53 countries across the globe, including host President Cyril Ramaphosa, President Alpha Conde of Guinea, and the Vice President of Nigeria, Yemi Osinbanjo, attended the forum. Malam Samaila Subaru, the Chief Executive Officer of the Africa Finance Corporation, says through the forum they were able to grow their coalition of investors. We have always wanted to work with a broad coalition of investors so that we can together close transactions faster, together negotiate better, because in the space that we're in, we have to relate with government. We have seen in this forum government being more willing to listen to advice. Uh, We've been able to talk to them on how to have different perspectives on a particular issue. We have actually seen one practical case where the government has shifted ground on a particular issue. So um, we think this is very good and we think that we can continue to work with investors. This has been a very good intermediation forum. Patrick Lamini, the Chief Executive Officer of the Development Bank of South Africa, says Africa to Africa investment emerged as a key takeaway from the forum. We are quite excited when actually we witness what we are witnessing here actually over the past two and a half days because it really says Africa is now fired up. Africa is now ready to go. I'm hopeful for the future of Africa, Agenda 2063, Sustainable Development Goals 2030. Africa is not going to be left behind. It says the people of Africa are now much more positive. They have every reason to be much more hopeful because the stories you heard here are the stories that you never had being told anywhere else before. South Africa's Minister of Finance, Titomboweni, has hailed the forum. We should thank the African Development Bank for this initiative. And uh, it's very, very positive, showing the way forward. There have been many forums organized for us by other people.
and more so outside Africa. And to have a forum like this in Africa, I think it's really commendable. The next edition of the Africa Investment Forum is scheduled for November 2019. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Tlantlamatlangu in Johannesburg. Hi, I'm Pule Mulebazi, the presenter of the Albinism Report, a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism, highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following times, Monday, 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time, and from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African time, Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African time. The Albinism Report, an enlightened narrative with me, Ule Mulebat, on Channel Africa from an African perspective. New measures to overcome challenges in response to the Ebola outbreak in the Democratic Republic of Congo are having a positive impact, although the outbreak remains dangerous and unpredictable. That's the view of the United Nations and World Health Organization after senior leadership visited the epicenter of the outbreak around the city of Beni, close to the Ugandan border this week. Since the outbreak began in August, there have been 308 cases and 191 deaths, about half of which have been in Beni. Show in Bryce Peace reports. The current outbreak is in an active conflict zone in the North Kivu region making it hard for health workers to identify and isolate cases. But the WHO says progress is being made. Director General Tedros Ghebreyesus. The um, disease is contracting geographically and also we see fewer cases from uh, week uh, to week. But that doesn't mean that the outbreak is over. Actually, a single case could uh, ignite it again. And that's why uh, we cannot say it's over until it's uh, over. So if we have even optimism, it will be a cautious uh, optimism. And having especially the confounding factor like insecurity until it's over, it's not over. And it will be a, a big and a strong fight that will be needed, a strong and sustained fight. Today, 27,000 people have been vaccinated and new patients receive one of four investigational treatments never used before. In the past, when Ebola uh, outbreak happens, uh, the only methods we had were traditional methods. That's starting from the infection prevention and control and patient uh, care management isolation. That's it. And now we have vaccines, very effective vaccine, and we have therapeutics. So that's why I said we're better uh, equipped. Soldiers from the UN peacekeeping mission MONUSCO have taken an active approach in quelling the violent instability in the region under Secretary General for Peacekeeping Operations Jean-Pierre Lacroix. The role of MONUSCO in supporting efforts against Ebola is quite considerable. This is expressed through various actions, both in the construction of camps for our WHO colleagues and other health partners, the supply of vehicles, the provision of air transport in conjunction with other agencies, but MANUSCO's contribution was very important in this regard. Lacroix also stressed the importance of support from the region. 
First, to be truly effective, it takes a regional commitment. We need a commitment from the countries of the entire region to dismantle the armed groups. Otherwise, the chances of success are much lower. There obviously needs to be a national commitment, and as I said, we are working closely with the national authorities. There needs to be a local commitment, including communities, as my brother Tedros reminded me, because without communities who are suffering, who are the first victims of these groups, we cannot do anything. But obviously, we also have to work on our tool, the tool of MANUSCO, our strategies, our posture, by making sure that this work is done in a very coordinated manner with our colleagues in Congo. Further complicating the effort, Ebola response teams also face mistrust from locals who are reluctant to allow vaccination programs or to follow rules for safe burials. I'm Sherman Bricepies in New York. South Africa's Deputy Minister of Social Development, Henrietta Bukhopane Zulu, says people with albinism will never be recognized as human beings as long as African languages continue to dehumanize them. Bukhopane Zulu was speaking during the provincial launch of the play titled Mama, I Want the Black That You Are in the Northern Cape Theatre in Kimberley. Refilwe Mia Mikwa reports. There's no part of me that can cure your AIDS. No part of me that can heal you. There is no part of me that can make you rich. Creating awareness through a stage play by depicting daily challenges that people with albinism face. Some of these challenges include human trafficking, killings, and simply yearning for a sense of belonging. They also have to deal with stigma, discrimination, and abuse. Residents came in their numbers to watch a stage play dubbed Mama, I Want the Black That You Are. Director of the play is Athamolepo. It was not easy. Even those that I approached for uh, for interviews while I was doing my my research, most of them wouldn't want to talk to me. What do you want with me? Are you one of those who want multi? What do you want exactly? What is it that you want with me? And it just hurt me. It really made me cry in most cases because I, I couldn't take it. And I said, well, they say, I want to help you. And you tell me I want to kill you. I don't know how I'm going to do it. The department has established different ways to educate people on albinism. A book, Understanding Albinism, has been published. Support groups and inclusive groups have also been formed. Deputy Minister of Social Development, Henrietta Bukhopane Zulu, says people's negative perceptions on albinism have to be changed. It is a sad story for Africans uh, that our belief system it's a painful reality to people with albinism the things that we do to them and what they go through but also our superstitious beliefs that we have been raised with that they don't die they disappear when you celebrate human rights you also have to affirm people so whilst we are still calling them we have not given them the status that human beings are given. As a result, we are unable to respect them. Candy Sileka has albinism. She says being accepted by family is very fundamental. She feels lucky to have never faced any prejudice. 
The 28-year-old who grew up in Kimberley says she's one of the very few who was never made to feel different. You have to learn in order to, to accept yourself. And then after that, you teach them to accept you too. After that, it's like water under a bridge because automatically some people don't understand. And that's where the teaching comes in. The audience believe more educational and informative shows on urbanism are needed. We need more of such projects in our communities, in the location, to inform and educate the public about our people living with albinism. It's so emotive. It's really um, create more than awareness. The Mama, I Want the Black That You Are play will be showcasing in 10 schools across the province. I'm Rifile Mekwa in Kimberley. Hi, I'm Pule Mulebazi, the presenter of the Albinism Report, a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism, highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following times, Monday, 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time, and from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African time. Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African time. The Albinism Report, an enlightened narrative with me, Ule Mulebati, on Channel Africa from an African perspective. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Lohoku. Good morning. Zimbabwe platinum miners have planned to jointly develop a base metal refinery in the country. Mines Minister Winston Chitando says that the processing plant has been under consideration since 2014 and the project may cost 134 million US dollars. Zimbabwe has the world's second largest reserves of platinum and base metals including nickel and copper. World leaders will push for the rapid completion of a massive China-backed trade deal that excludes the United States at a summit this week. This in a rebuke to rising protectionism and President Donald Trump's America First agenda, China, Japan, India and other Asia-Pacific countries could announce a broad agreement on the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, which covers half of the world's population on the sidelines of the annual gathering. Not only is the U.S. absent from the deal, but Trump is skipping the summit in Singapore, highlighting how far he has pulled back from efforts to shape global trade rules and raising further questions about Washington's commitment to Asia. The Zambian government has called on farmers to invest in agriculture to increase food production and bridge the country's huge deficit of 80,000 metric tons. Zambia's current fish production from captured fisheries stands at 85,000 metric tons, while 
It's a contribution from the aquaculture. It's a 32,000 metric tons per annum. The Ministry of Fisheries and Livestock says government is taking strides in improving dwindling fish stocks in the country. South African Petrochemicals Group Cecil said on Friday it would reverse a provision of 91 million US dollars after a previous unfavorable ruling over a tax dispute with the revenue service was overturned on appeal. Cecil, the world's top manufacturer of motor fuel from coal, says in a statement that it made the provision after a tax court ruled in favor of the South African Revenue Service. The Revenue Service had argued in court that some crude oil procurement contracts between Cecil's oil division and other Cecil units should be disregarded for tax purposes, which led to a higher tax liability for Cecil oil. French oil company Total plans to drill 13 wells on Block 17 offshore Angola in order to maintain production of 400,000 barrels per day of crude until 2023 in Africa's second-largest crude producer. The company says the wells, which will connect marginal fields to existing floating platforms, will be divided between the two projects. Clove 2 will involve drilling seven additional wells to produce 40,000 barrels of oil per day. First oil is expected in 2020. Adalia 3 will see six new wells drilled, producing 30,000 barrels per day, with oil coming on stream from 2021. Indicators at the Sawa. The US dollar trades at 10.46 Botswana Pula. It's at 11.78 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, the US dollar is trading at 3.73 Brazilian real. At 67.61 Russian ruble and at 72.33 Indian rupee. 6.94 Chinese yuan and 14.28 to the South African rand. It's also trading at 77 pence to the British pound and at 88 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,210. Platinum at $851 pounds. The price of Brent crude oil is at $71.05 a barrel. From an African perspective. Our sports update up next with Figilele Nwati. Now first, our sports update this hour. We begin with the football news. Africa's football's governing body, Confederation of African Football, CAF, have called off the much-anticipated match Kenya vs Sierra Leone AFCON qualifier on the 18th of November. The two teams were set to clash in the return leg of the Group F, but CAF have since moved to call off the fixture owing to the fact that Sierra Leone are still suspended by CAF. A top football Kenya Federation FKF official confirmed that they have received an email from CAF confirming the suspension. FIFA took the step to suspend Sierra Leone on the 5th of October 2018 following what they termed as government interference. 
And South Africa downed Australia by 40 runs to clinch the one-day international series 2-1. Thanks to centuries from David Miller and Fav Du Plessis and a three-wicket haul from veteran Dale Stain and the Bellarive Oval in Hobart yesterday. Man of the match Miller smashed 139 from 108 deliveries and his captain Du Plessis cracked 125 from 114 balls as the pair shared in a record 252 run stand for the fourth wicket as the protest posted 325 after being asked to bet first. And South Africa, that's the men's baseball national team, beat France 11-4 in the inaugural President's Cup in Cape Town. South African coach Neil Adonis says they played very well. Yeah, for us, um, you know, it's, a, it's, an, it's an awesome result for us um, to, 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 to win a series against an international team like uh, France, and, um, you know, it's, it's a very positive thing for baseball in, in, in South Africa that we could play in front of our home crowd and, and, and win a series um, at that level. So I'm a very happy coach right now and uh, very pleased and very, um, yes, grateful for the players, um, their support, and um, for the um, energy that they've showed in the last week. We, we, we struggled a little bit in Durban, uh, with, you know, with losing those two games, but we got to Cape Town, we got focused, and uh, yeah, uh, we managed to beat them, you know, the next three games. On to golf news, Lee Westwood begged five birdies on his back nine to storm into victory in the NetBank Golf Challenge, the NGC, at the Gary Player Country Club in South Africa's northwest province yesterday. His first title on the European Tour for four years. Westwood carried a faultless 64 that included an eagle and six birdies for a tournament total of 15 under par, three shots ahead of overnight leader Sergio Garcia. The Spaniard, who had led from the first round into Sunday, could manage only a 70 as his two-shot overnight advantage was swallowed up by a magnificent finish from Westwood. The Englishman secured a 24th European Tour title, the eighth most of all time, and a third at the NetBank Golf Challenge after previous wins in 2010, when he was ranked the number one golfer in the world, and 2011. Meanwhile, South Africa's Louis Oosthuizen says he had a good day, but his pursuit of eventual winner Lee Westwood proved too costly. No, I played good. Um, I, I attacked, you know, I attacked nicely, and um, I made a lot of birdies, and I made a good run at it. And uh, um, I mean, Westy played great. Um, you know, he was making at a stage, I think, five out of the last seven holes he birdied, and. Um, I was pushing really hard and, and um, but on 17 sort of knocked the sails, the wind out of my sails. It's, um, I mean, uh, it was such a good putt ahead and didn't go in and I knew I needed that for a chance to go play off um, and just, you know, try to do a hard three win on the last just to give me a drive. I was getting in that bunker just to give myself a good chance of a 7-9 maybe into that pin see maybe I can hold it but uh, you know hit it way right uh, could have killed someone on that second shot and and uh, I, I took it on um, you know see if I could make make par and and um, I mean I'm not, I'm not really the last I was not even I had to take it on um, see if some miracle shot I can make it too but uh, yeah I mean it was a it was a good day I played well I, I can't really can't really go back and say this and that. I make good putts. I missed a few putts, but um, I played well. 
That's Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Zimbabwe's opposition leader Nelson Chamisa evades kidnapping attempt and South Africa's state capture inquiry set to resume today. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutu Ramagadze and Komutu Mupulane, technical producer Revelino Ibrahim and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us.